This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where a local woman has just earned a mention in our podcast. Unfortunately for her, it's in the Florida Man segment, so you know it's not good. Another thing that's not good, the number of Floridians who've had their driver's license suspended. Would you believe two million over the past year? That's about one out of every eight drivers, and most of the time those suspensions had absolutely nothing to do with traffic safety. If you're still texting behind the wheel, this might be a good time to stop. Texting while driving is illegal, but there was a grace period of sorts, and that grace period is about to end. A charity group based in Sarasota raised more than $2.5 million last year to help the families of fallen law enforcement officers. Turns out they spent almost all of that money on fundraising and their own salaries. A state lawmaker mourns the death of his uncle, who was shot and killed on Christmas Eve as he mowed his lawn in South Florida. On the Sunrise interview, we're talking with Peter Schorsch of Florida Politics, who is publishing a list of the 25 most influential politicians in the Sunshine State over the past decade. Some of the people who didn't make the list are Andrew Gillum and Jack Latvala. We'll also have your daily calendar of events, and our Florida Man segment today is all about the women. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, December 30th. There are almost 16 million licensed drivers in Florida, and a new study shows almost 2 million of them have had their licenses suspended. But not for being a bad driver. Most of those suspensions were the result of unpaid fines and fees. Turns out the state can suspend your license for minor infractions that have nothing to do with traffic safety, like missing a court date, failing to pay child support, or having past due court-imposed fines and fees. The study by a group called the Fines and Fees Justice Center shows more than 70% of the suspension notices issued each year in Florida are for unpaid fines and fees. The study concludes that Florida's method of forcing people to pay unpaid traffic tickets, toll violations, and court costs is, quote, counterproductive and harmful. People who have their license suspended find out fast it's all but impossible to function in Florida without a car because mass transit is so limited. So many of them keep driving because it's the only way to stay employed and pay the bills. State Representative Byron Donalds of Naples has filed a bill for the upcoming legislative session that would establish a uniform payment plan across the state and allow drivers who had their licenses suspended over unpaid fines get them reinstated with a fee instead of having to pay their court debt in full. The Orlando Sentinel says Senator Tom Wright of New Smyrna Beach plans to file a companion bill in the upper chamber. Back on the 1st of July, a new law took effect in Florida, strengthening the ban on texting while driving. The old law classified the offense as secondary enforcement. That meant police could not pull you over for texting. There had to be some other reason. The new law changes that to primary enforcement, so officers can indeed stop drivers and cite them for simply texting while driving. But Captain Mark Brown at the Florida Highway Patrol told lawmakers there was a six-month grace period where drivers would get a warning instead of a ticket. Our director, Colonel Gene Spaulding, provided direction to our members to focus on educating our public and promoting safety. We encourage our members to issue warnings and concentrating on educating the drivers on why they should obey the law. We still allow our members to use discretion for severe violations and allow them to take uh, action as they deem appropriate. Well, folks, hate to say it, but your six-month grace period is almost over. As of Wednesday, first-time texting violators face a $30 fine. A second offense will cost you 60 bucks plus three points against your driver's license. You'll also have to pay any court costs and fees the judge tax on to the sentence. Now, that new law also bans the use of handheld cell phones in school zones and work zones. So this might be a good time to go hands-free by plugging in your phone or using Bluetooth to go wireless. 
When is a charity not really a charity? Well, consider this. A Sarasota-based nonprofit for fallen or injured law enforcement officers spends nearly all of its donations on telemarketers. An investigation by the Center for Public Integrity and the Tampa Bay Times revealed the Law Enforcement Officer Relief Fund raised $2.7 million last year and spent $2.3 million of that on fundraising. Only $72,000 actually went to the families of fallen officers. The Relief Fund is affiliated with the International Union of Police Associations, another nonprofit based out of Sarasota that also spends the vast majority of the money it collects on professional fundraising groups instead of the people the charities are supposed to be helping. All of us here at Florida Politics extend our condolences to House Democratic leader Keone McGee of Cutler Bay. His uncle Dennis McGee was shot and killed on Christmas Eve while mowing his lawn in Miami-Dade County. Representative McGee issued a statement saying, quote, Losing a loved one is always hard, but to have Dennis taken away from our family in such a terrible and avoidable way on Christmas Eve is absolutely heartbreaking. This is yet another senseless gun-related death during the holidays of peace and love, unquote. A memorial service for Dennis McGee will be held Saturday at Morningstar Missionary Baptist Church. Now that the year is almost done, the rankings are coming out, and we're not talking college football here. These are the political rankings. Up next on Sunrise, we talk with Peter Shorsch about his list of the top 25 politicians over the past decade. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise, where we're just a couple of days away from a new year and a new decade. Our guest today is Peter Schorsch of FloridaPolitics.com, who is now publishing a list of the most influential lawmakers in Florida over the past 10 years. We are looking at the definitive list of the top 25 politicians of the last decade. Um, had to be an elected official or campaign for office. That was, the, uh, that was basically the only guidelines. We talked to a panel... I think of about 20 political insiders and elected officials, and then other people submitted kind of like incomplete ballots, but they got, you know, like, hey, I think Bill Nelson should be up here or whatever. And so we we ranked all of that and came up with the list. We started on Friday revealing the 25 through 21, but it was interesting. We had to get a couple of honorable or dishonorable mentions out of the way. We had John Morgan as an honorable mention simply because it, he's basically been on the ballot every two years, uh, or at least his initiatives have. He's going to be back on the ballot in 2020. Um, he is responsible for some very important public policy on marijuana, now on minimum wage. Uh, so he feels like, and, and he did flirt with running for governor. So he was, he's not a politician per se, but he was pretty close. And then one of the things was, what did we do about Jack Laval? He actually would have ranked on the top 25 list if you just went by the vote. Uh, but uh, the, the CEO of, of my world, uh, my wife, uh, vetoed that and said, you know, what Jack had done uh, with his sexual harassment basically corrupted the entire result of what he had done. And so um, we didn't feel it was right to put him in the top 25, but we did have to acknowledge 
his fairly significant contributions, especially at the beginning of the decade, to public policy. So was that more of a dishonorable mention? Yeah, it was kind of a dishonorable mention. I, 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 I'm sure he didn't care for that, but I thought it was written up as, as fair as possible, acknowledging, you know, if you remember back in the first part of this decade, and it's really important when you're doing a list like this to remember, you know, not to get that relevancy bias of the last year or so, you got to look back at, you know, 2010, 11, 12, and that's why not only is Jack Gladwell on the list, but like J.D. Alexander is on the list, and there's a lot of people in Tallahassee and probably in Florida who have no idea who J.D. Alexander is, but he did have a a three, four, five-year run where he was probably the most consequential lawmaker in Tallahassee. He was certainly uh, the most feared. He was a appropriations chairman. He can he can very rightly say that he um, pretty much single-handedly had a university built, uh, Florida Polytech in, in Polk County, and you know so he's in. I think he's in our uh, our 25 to 21 range as somebody. Tom Lee also. You know, he, ha- he has, throughout the decade, uh, been very involved in public, in, in all sorts of different policies. But people forget that at the beginning of the decade, he was, v- he was a fairly powerful individual. And so it's just important when you're doing these lists, you gotta, you got to look at everything um, uh, evenly. And you can't just say, well, Ron DeSantis is number one just because he's governor right now. Compiling those rankings is no easy task because it's been a tumultuous decade. And when you're ranking politicians on influence, Shore says it's not always a good influence. I don't want to give away who's our, you know, in our top 10. We're, we're rolling out basically five choices every day throughout this week on FloridaPolitics.com um, and then some other think pieces to surround them. You know, the, the top five are easy to figure out. It's going to be Rick Scott. You know, it's going to be Ron DeSantis. It's going to be Marco Rubio. Those, some order of those, that's going to be up there. But what you have to also consider is, was there an impact, positive or negative? And, and in some cases, some people, like Charlie Chris got a fairly high ranking, even though he's really only been in Congress since 2016. But he was, and he lost, you know, races in uh, 2010 and 20. 14, but he had a very big impact on the political process. So that's somebody like that. Um, there's a couple of people who, you know, like one of the big questions is going to be, you know, where did Andrew Gillum fit? And I will say that he didn't make the list. And that may be two things happening. Number one, our list probably tilts a little too Republican because that's who are the insiders right now. And so they, they really don't like Gillum. Um, and so that is – um, I think that could be a factor. I've asked Kevin Kate, uh, the Democratic consultant, to publish something on the site making the case for why Gillum belonged on the list. Um, I think another person who sh- who could have been made on the list but didn't was Jeff Atwater. Uh, he had, you know, he had two terms as CFO. He was involved, you know, in the Senate before then. Um, but it feels like he didn't want to ever really be in Tallahassee for that long. He was looking for the university job, um, and it didn't feel like his that he had as much impact on the on the political process as other people did. Very nice man, you know. Basically, went eight years in Tallahassee without controversy, which is really an accomplishment in, in its own self. But there's some other people that got ahead of him on the list, and it may not be uh, for necessarily them doing um, great things all the time. They may have been more controversial. 
Jeff was just kind of a nice guy. He didn't always seem to fit in up here. I called him the chief infographic officer one time because he loved giving me 45-minute beautiful presentations at the Florida Chamber of Commerce uh, conferences. And, you know, yeah, he just, he really, he didn't create any controversy. And I think there were a couple occasions maybe where he could have stood up to Rick Scott and he chose not to. I think about like the FDLE, you know, sacking of Carol uh, Bailey. That was, that was one instance uh, where he could have um, maybe courted a little bit more controversy. But I just don't think that there was, there wasn't as, you know, there just wasn't a lot of legs to, his time up in Tallahassee. In the course of assembling these rankings, Shore says there was one thing he found especially troubling, the lack of diversity. The good old boys are still running the show. I gotta give this, I gotta, and I hate dogging our work, but um, number one, this is a really vanilla list. And by that, I mean, it is a lot of white dudes. Um, and again, that can be my bias, et cetera. But, you know, I just, I feel like with, it's disappointing that, um, you know, that there are only like maybe two or three women on the list. Um, there are, I don't think that there are any African-Americans on the list. Um, and that, that is a sad testament, you know, to the state of Florida politics when you, when you consider the demographics of the state. And, that, and that's, again, that could be my own blinders. Like there were some votes for Carlo Jimenez um, and, you know, some people had some other people maybe from the Cuban-American community, et cetera, uh, that should have been higher. And so that was that's one thing I wish uh, we had done a little bit. I don't know. It's not that we did a little bit better job of, but it, it was. I wish our politics reflected the state's population a little bit better. And then another issue we had uh, is the difference between federal lawmakers and state lawmakers. And, you know, when, when all is said and done, we didn't have a lot of state uh, federal lawmakers on the list and that may be our bias because we're not you know we're, a lot of our work is in tallahassee as opposed to dc but it just we didn't really have too many standout members of congress uh up there bill young is on the list at some point you know he was probably the one of the few people that really really had uh a lot of power in uh in dc um but there just wasn't a lot of those uh types of folks and we've had so much turnover in the delegation as of late that they really didn't warrant being placed on a list about uh, impact for the decade. Peter is back tomorrow to talk about more of the people who made the list of most influential politicians of the past decade. Only one thing today on your political calendar of events. U.S. District Judge Charlene Honeywell is holding a conference call about the status of a lawsuit filed by Cambridge Christian School of Tampa against the Florida High School Athletic Association. That lawsuit stems from the association's decision to prevent Cambridge Christian and University Christian School of Jacksonville from using a loudspeaker to offer a prayer before a high school championship football game four years ago. Judge Edwards had dismissed the lawsuit, but the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals recently sent it back to her for further consideration. And finally today, we close with a gender-bending tribute to Florida Man, the all-female version. A Florida woman is jailed in Louisiana after authorities say she crashed her car into an assisted living facility after breaking up with her boyfriend. Police reports say 19-year-old Yasina Guzman of Tallahassee was so upset after the split that she hit two other vehicles while backing out of a parking space in front of her ex's home. Then she accelerated and crashed through the assisted living facility next door, hitting two beds where people were sleeping. The good news? No one was hurt, including Guzman's two children who were actually in the car. 
The bad news, mom is charged with felony child endangerment, reckless operation of a vehicle, plus hit and run. Finally, a Florida woman accused of punching a cop and causing a disturbance at IHOP turns out to be, get this, the director of tourism for Indian River County. 40-year-old Allison McNeil of Vero Beach is charged with battery on a law enforcement officer, resisting arrest with violence, and trespassing. An employee at an IHOP in Vero Beach told police the drama began when McNeil walked into the restaurant at 3 a.m. in the morning and began yelling at customers. Police issued a trespass warning, told her not to go in or she'd be arrested, which she did. After being busted, the officer says she became irate, punching and shoving him until he took her to the ground face down. She was released from jail after posting a $4,500 bail. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a fresh episode. 